Welcome to Massive Late Fee. Here are your hosts, Mark and Carol. Hi everyone, but welcome to Massive Late Fee. My name is Mark. With me as always is my beautiful girlfriend, Carol. How are you doing, Carol? Hey, what's up? So, uh, another good week for us. It seems like people are really getting into uh, what we're doing, which is, is good. We have uh, several new listeners. I think even some parents are, are listening as well. So... That's good. Not much uh, in the in news as far as today goes. There, uh, there was a, an earthquake in the San Fernando Valley on Monday, six point seven magnitude. That was quite uh, harrowing, I'm sure, for this the citizens of Los Angeles. But lucky us, we're we're over here, in Michigan. So. That's true. Yeah, it doesn't really affect us. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's bad for them. Also. Uh, Philadelphia and Mrs. Doubtfire continue to be the number one and number two films in the United States. Obviously, people are still loving that. I know a few friends that have seen both a couple different times. We uh, will probably cover Mrs. Doubtfire next week. I know that that's a film that came out last year, but obviously it's still raining at the box office and we weren't... We weren't doing this last year, so we will probably still still talk about that next week. Yeah, we, we should have seen that this week. We should be talking about that this week. I wish we could go back in time. <laughs> Don't want to uh, ruin anything, but the uh, the movie that we saw this week is not that great. No, no, not not great at all. So, this is January 22nd, 1994, and this is Massive Late Fee coming at you. Uh, I'm certainly, I think, cooler than John Tesh from Entertainment Tonight. And, oh, of course. And Carol has <clears throat> better legs than Mary Hart, so. <laughs> but uh, we'll start off with the our TV picks of the week. We saw a couple different shows as well. Obviously, we've seen a lot of shows this week. But we picked out two to talk to you guys about, two that we thought were particularly good. Uh, we'll start with Carol. Uh, Carol, she's, well, we watched this together. But I'm sure many of you are aware that Fox, the new television network, well, not so new anymore, but still the newest television network, they... Uh, they are held together basically by the power of The Simpsons, which obviously is very popular, and the show that we watched, Married with Children. So, uh, Carol, why don't you tell us about uh, Married with Children? I, I love Married with Children. I've got to say this is not my favorite episode of Married with Children, though. Um, this episode, Peggy goes to her family reunion leaving the kids who are pretending to be sick home alone. And, and you know, I'm sorry, but they're, they're not even, like, kids at this point. I mean... Yeah, they're... I uh, Kelly's basically an adult. Right. I think Bud has got to be at least 17 or something like that. I mean, that. They, they seem like they're they're beyond pretending to be sick and, and partying while the parents are away. Yeah, I would think so. But, um, anyway, so Kelly is pretending um, now, again, She first she pretends to be sick so she can stay home. Now she's pretending to be doing some charity thing for literacy. Reading so, reading books to kids. So she can, She's doing a commercial for yeah, it. So she can get the house to herself and get Bud to leave. And, um, and, and instead, you know, of course she's going to fool around because that's what Kelly does. And this guy burns the couch down. Yeah, he comes in with a cigar. Which is, it's funny to see someone who's supposed to be 19 or 20 smoking a big fat cigar. It's not really what kids that age seem to do. Right. But uh, yeah, he, uh, he he leaves the cigar on the couch and it burns the, their couch down. And I guess this couch means something um, to to Peggy. Well, it's sort of like the couch on Roseanne. It's and I, you know, it's an iconic couch. And and yeah, I guess Peggy has a uh, special 
it's a special place in her heart or her bottom, I guess, for the couch. But I mean, to the point where she she literally can feel something is wrong with her couch. She feels a disturbance in the force. Yeah. So, they they um, are coming home early, and now the kids have to find a way to fix or replace the couch. And Kelly like hunts down the guy that made the couch. Apparently, there were only two made. Yeah. Uh, Jefferson comes in, the great Ted McGinley. And he tells them that he did some research and discovered that only two couches were made. Only one was ever sold. And he tracks down the guy who designed the couch. It's a weird, I don't, it's weird to me. I guess, I guess there are people that design furniture. It's yeah. never, never something that really occurred to me before. I suppose I just figured nowadays, you know, that they're just made in a factory. Right. Yeah. So she finds the guy, and, and of course, you know, he's, he's oh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you this couch if you, you know, give me something. And the episode ends with us finding out what she gave him. Chlamydia. Her, right? <laughs> Her parents' bed. It's just so stupid. I'm just so disappointed by this episode. The episode ends with Al and Peggy falling on the floor because their bed's not there. Yeah, because apparently they w- had their eyes closed when they were jumping into bed. Right? <laughs> like, they walk in and don't notice there's no bed? Uh, I mean, at least it's set up a little bit. She goes to this guy's shack, and he uh, has a pile of dirty clothes that he says is his bed. They do the classic bait-and-switch joke where, you know, it's like double entendre. You know, what? there's something you can give me, and... Bud and her talk about it, and Bud's like, I can't believe what you did for this couch. And She says, oh, you know, he's wanted it for so long, it's been years, blah, 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 blah. Turns out, it's a bed, when you're, you know, you're supposed to think it's it's sex. But, as a bait and switch, it just goes on way too, there's seriously probably, no exaggeration, around five minutes of conversation related to this this bait and switch yeah. where they're trying to set it up it's too long because it's very telegraphed you know right away that it's going to be something else other than what they're intimating that it could be oh and and another you know side storyline is that you know well well kelly's trying to hook up but of course is also trying and failing and you know i i don't get it you know, it's like a running joke that Bud is like just, you know, never going to be successful with women, always getting rejected. I think he's a nice looking kid. Like, I, I don't get why, why he's, he's all right looking. girls never want to uh, hang out with Bud. But. Yeah, he's, I, I think in the beginning it was more believable. Well, yeah. He's definitely, he's grown into more of a man as the show has gone. I mean, we're on season eight yeah, of this of show. Course. So, and, and I can forgive married with children for having some like less than stellar episodes like this because they've been going on for so long to eight seasons, lots of episodes. So it, it happens from time to time. It's still a quality show, but it maybe hasn't quite reached the heights of what they were in their first few seasons. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to hate on Married with Children. It's just this episode disappointed me. But I saw a... Fi- or Not a film. I saw a TV show <clears throat> that Carol didn't really watch, and she joins most of America <laughs> in in not watching it. I uh, And it's not Saved by the Bell of the College Years. Usually, obviously, I would talk about Saved by the Bell of the College Years, during the TV pick segment because as long as that show is on for the many years that it's going to be on, it will always be my pick of the week. But they didn't have an episode this week. I know. Poor baby. I know you were so disappointed. I heard that they're shifting it to Saturday. I think it's airing tonight. Okay, please don't tell me that means that you're going to make me stay in every Saturday night to watch this stupid show. Well, I suppose I could record it on the VCR. Yeah, that sounds like a plan. Invest in the tape. But, uh, yeah, I'm probably not going to stay in Saturday night to watch Save by the Bell. And it's probably not a good sign overall for the show that they've moved it to Saturday night. But the show that I watched 
uh, which is on Friday night at 8 p.m., is called The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Uh, it stars a man named Bruce Campbell, who has been in some like really low-budget uh, kind of horror movies. You uh, you might be able to find them. The, you're not really going to be able to find them at Blockbuster. By where we live, there's a video store called Thomas Video, and they specialize in more niche stuff. So they have, like, if you wanted to see Birth of a Nation, for whatever reason, because you're racist, or you want to study, or you want to study film, they have a copy of that. So they have stuff more like that, a little more niche stuff that's hard to find, but you're not going to be able to find the movies that Bruce Campbell was in 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 uh, Blockbuster, because he was in a movie called uh, The Evil Dead, which was made by a man named Sam Raimi, who um, is from Michigan, and uh, Bruce Campbell is also from Michigan. They kind of grew up together, sort of close to where we live. But I love this show a lot, and it's basically it's a Western show with a sci-fi twist to it. Uh, it has John Aston guest stars in it sometimes. You'll remember him as Gomez on The Addams Family. And his son, Sean, was in The Goonies. So he's, uh, you know, uh, he's great. John Aston's great. But, but Bruce Campbell really kind of holds the whole show together. And he plays a bounty hunter and that um, that is looking for different criminals, most notably James Bly and his gang. And this episode was called Fountain of Youth. And uh, Bowler and Briscoe go to... They're, they're contacted by a Professor Coles who is in some sort of distress and he needs their help. And they go there, they find his daughter and a gang of ridiculously good-looking, like they'd be on the cover of a romance novel guys. Okay. Long, blonde hair and, <clears throat> and stuff like that. And supposedly... The professor was close to finding the Fountain of Youth, the actual Fountain of Youth. So, to make a long story short, Briscoe investigates. Turns out that the daughter is actually the leader of the gang. She ends up uh, capturing uh, Briscoe County Jr. and Bowler and locking them up uh, to a steam pipe. They eventually get out before the barn that they're in explodes. Um... They find the professor, who apparently has found the Fountain of Youth, and Bly is there as well with the orb. And he uh, he's trying to harness this power of the Fountain of Youth. The basic thing of Briscoe County Jr. is Briscoe's always looking for the next thing because the, the show takes place at the turn of the century. So it's funny, too, because there's a lot of humor based on since this this is being filmed in the in the modern times uh-huh. 94 there's a lot of humor as to we know what's going to happen in the future <clears throat> but they're not supposed to right and they make predictions and things like that that kind of allude to things that happen now so it's sort of funny in that way but um <clears throat> briscoe's looking for the next big thing because it's the turn of the century it's it's the dawn of the industrial age and Bly is also looking for things like that because he wants to use them and pervert them for his own evil purposes. But this was a really good episode, another solid episode. Uh, we're 17 episodes in to Briscoe County Jr. of their, their first season. And I really hope, I know that Friday night at 8 o'clock is a bad time slot. And lots of shows have struggled in the, that time slot. It, but I th- I hope that this show, especially paired with the X Files, which is a popular show, I hope they gain more popularity and and keep building an audience because it really is a solid show, and I would I'd hate to see it go away. Yeah, I mean it's it's just it's not my cup of tea. I'm glad you you enjoy it. But that's our TV picks for the week. So now we will move on to our main topic, which is the film. Intersection uh, just oh. came out this week. Richard Gere, Sharon Stone, Lolita Davidovich, uh, Martin Landau has a very small role in the movie. And 
this one, this movie, it premiered at number three. That's what I read in, in Variety behind, like I said, Philadelphia and Mrs. Doubtfire. And it's, this is a, a hard one for me to talk about because there were things I liked about it and there was a lot of stuff I didn't like about it as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a good, it started out strong. And it's got Richard Gere. So, I mean, right there, it, you, you got to give the movie points. But the way that the movie progressed, the way that it ended, sucked. And even in the beginning, honestly, I was confused because they keep doing this back and forth in time. And you're not sure, because they start out doing it right away, what's present and what's not present time. Yeah, the structure of the movie is not great. They start the movie very near the end. And then, like Carol said, they go to what's the present and then they shift to a certain time in the past. And the only way you can really tell is that Richard Gere's hair is gray <laughs> in the present. And in sometimes in the past, it's brown. Other times in the more recent past, but still the past, it's gray again. Well, and his um, his ex-wife's hair is longer in the past. Yeah, so uh, Richard Gere plays an architect, and Sharon Stone is his ex-wife, newly ex-wife. And Lolita Davidovich plays the woman that he fell in love with and sort of had an affair with and was the reason for the divorce and his girlfriend now. And the movie kind of, it shifts back and forth between what's going on now to in the past when Sharon Stone and he first got together and then to the more recent past, but still the past when he first met Lolita Davidovich's character and they started their romance. And that's part of why it's so confusing. Yeah. And I understand that it's difficult because you can't just put in three weeks earlier, five years earlier, all the time in every different uh scene that you want to come back yeah it would have been more helpful but it's not very artistic the problem is the overall structure of the movie they shouldn't have structured it in a way to where they have to keep cutting back to the past in order to tell the the story that they're trying to tell they could have written it in a way to where these revelations came out through natural dialogue or natural occurrences in the present time as opposed to trying to have to keep going back into the past to figure out what happened. And it does get a little muddled and a little confusing because of that. No, I mean, the, the acting is good. I, I did almost cry at a certain point in the movie. Um, and I, I really did feel like the characters were struggling with the issues that they were struggling with, which, you know, for Richard Gere's character, it was trying to decide whether he wants to be with his new girlfriend or go back to his ex-wife. Um, it's just... It dragged on too long and the end of the movie without giving away the whole ending of the movie. Well, let's... Let's let's go... So, let's give our, our recommendations and then we'll... And then we'll kind of ruin the movie for, for people. You know, for if you haven't seen the movie after we give our recommendations, you can skip it. Uh, if if you have seen the movie, then you can listen to more in-depth okay. analysis. Uh, I would say, I would have to say, unfortunately, that this is not worth seeing. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it was a little bit, there were some scenes that were kind of hot. Acting was decent, but otherwise it's not worth it. So now we'll kind of start ruining stuff. Uh, what, so what scene were you talking about? When I got choked up? Yeah. Well... He, okay, so the end of the movie, he goes back and forth, which is so frustrating. Um, so he decides that he's going to break up with his girlfriend to be with his ex-wife. And he writes her this letter saying, you know, find somebody else, basically. And he goes to mail it to her. What a dick move, by the way. He's going to break up with his girlfriend, who he lives with, by mailing her a letter. So... He's, he's stopped at this post office box. He's trying to decide whether to send her the letter. And some little girl walks up and gives him a pastry. And this makes him change his mind. Now, she reminds him of his girlfriend. And he's now like, oh, I'm in love with her. I want to have babies with her. 
so I'm not going to break up with her, finds a payphone, calls, and proposes to her answering machine. Again, smooth. Right. Yeah, that was the point where I, I, I thought that he might legitimately have a mental disorder. Right. Because he, he just, he shifted so quickly, so often, as to what he wanted to do and what he was going to do, who he wanted to be with. Uh, there's there's sexual tension and flirting with his ex-wife in certain scenes. There's, you know, tension between he and his girlfriend because he doesn't want her around where his ex-wife is and things like that. And then he just, you know, switches on a dime. I, it was it was jarring and not earned no. really at all. That one scene with the little girl is not enough no. to change your mind from I'm going to break up with my girlfriend to I'm going to propose marriage to my girlfriend. Not not for any sane person. So, okay, so then he's on the road going to propose to her, and of course, <laughs> the name of the movie's Intersection, he gets in a car accident. So now he's in a coma, and they're fucking with us more. Because they're showing us scenes of him and his thoughts in the coma. And right. Things that could be, things that were, things that might be. Right. It's so confusing. You don't know whether you're looking at the past or the present or the future, and you realize that it's all just his jumbled up brain. Um, and he dies. Yeah. So, I almost cried when they told his ex-wife because of the pain in her reaction to that. Yeah, I thought that was some of the more weaker acting points, actually. Really? Yeah, the the swoon, where she, like... They they do the classic thing where the camera is behind the glass, the the door that the doctor went through. You don't hear the dialogue, you just see the reaction, which can can work very well sometimes. But that, that fake swoon that she did where she almost fainted, and Martin Landau's character catches her... I don't know, it didn't see it seemed like she was acting. I d I didn't buy that much. Okay, but I wasn't actually talking about that instant. Okay. I'm talking about after when she's been talking to Martin Landau's character mm-hmm. and they're talking about how she has to talk to her daughter. Oh yeah, okay. And he's saying that he'll call for her and she's like, Just tell her we'll be late. And then she starts to like cry, and 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 it's the thought of her having to tell her daughter that her father was dead. Yeah, that okay. That that was good acting. I'll give you that. So, um, I I I don't know. I mean, it, then okay. So then she finds the letter because the the staff at the hospital give her his stuff. Right. Reads it. Who reads a letter addressed to somebody else? Would you have read that letter? No. No. And so she knows now that he was going to break up with his ex-girlfriend, or with his girlfriend. And the girlfriend has listened to the answering machine message and thinks that he was going to, you know, marry her. Right. So both women now think that he's chosen them. Right. And that is how they leave it. Yeah, she, uh, they, they see each other because she, the Lolita Davidovich's character is coming to see him. After she hears the the message, and she happens to see his destroyed car being crane lifted out of the side of the road, very convenient. And she so she knows it's his car, so she rushes to the hospital. It's just an excuse to get all of them together at the hospital, right? And um, they, so the two women see each other, and Sharon Stone's character has the letter in her hand in, in her coat pocket, and she puts her hand on it. As if she might give it to her, and then she stops. She basically says, he didn't, you know, we, we got here too late. He wasn't able to say anything, and they, they leave. So she does her a kindness by not revealing this, and Lolita Davidovich's character doesn't tell her why she came, why she was there. So she just says that she was, look, you know, going to look at a, a museum that he had designed again. So they both kind of do a kindness to each other. And they leave it at that, and both of them think that, in the end, he chose them. Uh, I said, and I know I don't think you agree with me on this, Carol, though. I said that I thought that the movie would have been better if it had focused on Sharon Stone and Lolita Davidovich's characters, you know, maybe cutting back between the two, and he's the linchpin between the two of them, because I thought their characters were more interesting. 
than him. What What about them was more interesting? Well, she was very career driven. She, she which she? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Sharon Stone's character was very career driven, very cold, austere, shut off, and I want to know why. What What about her childhood? made her like that what about what about uh how she grew up cut her off to that kind of emotionality and made her want to be a driven career person because basically her and richard gear start this architectural firm together and they're business partners and part, part of the reason why their marriage dissolved is because she's kind of all about the business and advancing the business and she doesn't have a lot of passion or emotion for him or their relationship. He says they weren't they didn't have a marriage, they had a corporation with a child. Right. Uh Lolita Davidovich's character seemed uh more more passionate, more open. She was obviously a creative type person because she was a journalist and she she seemed more willing to fill that aspect of what he needed in his life. But she was less, she was less driven and controlling. And I guess her, I guess Sharon Stone's character is probably the most interesting character in the movie to me. But I would have, and, and Richard Gere's character was just, um, just a wishy-washy guy that didn't really know what he wanted. That kept going back and forth between, and I thought it would be a more interesting movie had they focused on the two women, with him in the middle. And show different scenes of them together and stuff. And he's kind of going back and forth between the two of them. I think that would have made a more uh, a more interesting film to me. You know, another thing that you mentioned too is is that you wanted to see you know what his failings were. Yeah. And uh, honestly, I mean, I think the only failing they really show us is the fact that he's so wishy washy. He's milk. He doesn't know what he wants. He's he's a milk toast kind of guy. He's just bland. If it's so important to him to have passion, it's it's shown that early in the marriage they didn't have passion. So I, I'm wondering at what point did they ever? And if they didn't, then why did he marry her in the first place? Yeah, and did he did he marry her just because he knew that she could help him in, in things that he wanted to accomplish? Was he sort of complicit but just didn't get this extra part that he wanted and thought maybe that... That he could do it. I, I don't know. It's it's unclear. The other big failing, I think, of this movie is, is the dialogue. Yes. There's a lot of dialogue that's painful and, and stilted. I think it's amazing that especially Sharon Stone can give as good of a performance in this movie as she did, considering <clears throat> the dialogue that she had to work with. Yeah. I, they did a lot of really great um, you know, emotion with their faces mm. uh, to convey things that just were not conveyed by their words. Yeah. There's one scene in particular with Sharon Stone when, when she basically says they're in uh, his office and it's unclear that they're business partners for, for a decent part of the movie. It, she seems almost like his secretary or his assistant for certain parts of the movie until later it's revealed that they started all this thing together. But She's talking to him and he has some kind of headache. She starts massaging his head and his shoulders and then starts running her hands down his chest. And they, you know, they have this flirtation and he kind of stops it. She walks away and says, well, that's not like me. And then she says to him, we can't keep doing this. We can't keep coming to the same building every day, working together every day like this and he says you know i agree you're fired and she has this two different looks on her face it was really where it's it's like kind of sort of humor at first and then switching really quickly to sort of shock and and anger a little bit yeah and and a little bit of anger and it's it's a really great acting moments mm-hmm. before she she walks out so that's the kind of the things we're talking about as far as the acting goes but yeah the dialogue is is really bad speaking of acting 
there's a, a young woman that plays their daughter. Her name is uh, Jennifer Morrison. I guess she has been in uh, like a Rice Krispies commercial uh, before this. And this is her first movie. So she's a complete newcomer. I thought that she was very good. Uh, yeah. You know, likable. She did a, a very good job in the film. I could see her, you know, continuing having having a good career going forward as, as she gets older. Yeah. Um, I mean, she, she did all right. I, I wasn't super impressed by anything she did i don't know if we'll see her again but there was uh, one part that i liked a lot where she's a ballet student and richard Gere's character comes to see her at ballet because he's picking her up and she turns around and sees him and she gets this big smile on her face and she turns to the girl that's behind her and she goes it's my dad and i thought that was that was i felt that i, I could see if I have a daughter one day, I could see her doing something like that. I've seen, you know, I've seen my sister react to, to things like that and, and other real, you know, daughters reacting to their fathers. I, it, I really sold me. I thought that she did a, thought she did a good job. So you could feel, feel the excitement. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that she, I think she really sold <clears throat> it and, and did a good job with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she, she was fine. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately... Not there's too there's too much going against this movie to really recommend it to anybody. Maybe if you want to wait the the six months to a year to rent it from Blockbuster, it might be worth a rental. Uh, especially if you're a student of films and you want to see some things not to do as far as directing goes and how and how you set up uh, the structure of your film. It was it was sort of poorly paced too. I yeah. thought there was it, it it dragged in some bits. The beginning was sort of you know it really kind of grabbed you like you said. The beginning was was decent. It dragged a little in the middle, and then at the end it sort of just meandered instead of building to any kind of emotional climax. And I mean, the thing is, is you're talking about the emotional climax of the movie is the guy that you've been following for the entire film, gets in a car accident, has a subdural hematoma in his brain that needs to be operated on as he's hallucinating, and then dies. So that those are big stakes. Those are <laughs> those are uh, you know big things that are happening. You would think it wouldn't be so hard to build to an emotional crescendo, but it really doesn't. It just meanders through his thoughts and then peters out i really think it would have been better if they hadn't done that at all if they had just yeah. had him die yeah either died right on the road or if he had or they wheel him into the hospital and again we focus on the female characters we focus on her rushing to the hospital we see a couple scenes of her in her car driving to the hospital driving quickly to the hospital but we never go into the interior of the car we never see the worry. We never see her crying. We never see her emotional response to trying to get to this hospital. Which, which her, honey? Sorry, Lolita Davidovich's character. So the girlfriend. Yes, the girlfriend's character. We never see any of that. We, we see a little bit of Sharon Stone's reaction when they call his work and say, he's been in an accident, you gotta come to the hospital we see a little bit of her reaction to that but even then not not a lot we don't no. stay with the care we don't stay with the characters very much we stay with him and this back and forth kind of thing it's the yeah i agree with you the if if they had just wheeled him in and then we we focused on the female characters while he's in his coma going through surgery and then they come and say that he dies it would have been better. That the like I said, the whole structure of the movie and the structure throws off the pace. It throws everything off. I also didn't. There wasn't to me. There wasn't a ton of artistry in the camera work. There weren't a lot of glorious shots or anything like that. And we're dealing with a guy who's an architect who's building, you know, beautiful buildings. Yeah. You don't see. You don't see a lot of that. You no. don't. You don't get a lot of. Uh, a lot of vistas or, or anything like that. There's a shot of a mountain 
which is decent. There's a couple artistic shots, but uh, it, on the whole, it's not it's not very visually stimulating either. It's sort of just paint by numbers directing. Even the sex scenes aren't very visually stimulating, honestly. That's true. I mean, the ones with Sharon Stone, I think, are meant to be that way. Right. But the ones with Lolita Davidovich also are not that that stimulating either. So, you know, it's it's it fails on a lot of basic levels of you know, telling a story as far as the movie goes. But yeah, I I would have to say that this one is definitely a miss. Uh go back and see Mrs. Doubtfire again or see it for the first time. If you haven't seen it, Philadelphia right. is fantastic. Uh, the TriStar Pictures, that, that's the, the company that distributes Philadelphia. I got to say, I think TriStar Pictures is probably going to be around for a long time because they have got a giant hit on their hands. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, so I, I would see one of those and, uh, you know, I, and give this one a miss. It's unfortunately not very good. No, nope, definitely not worth it. So we will end this week, as we end all of our weeks, with our uh, blockbuster pick of the week. Now this is a little bit different because nothing really new has come to video except for the movie that we're going to talk about, which I don't know that I can really give a recommend to. This is a movie that Carol watched for about 15 minutes. Yeah, I couldn't do it, sorry guys. And I've seen... Uh, I actually saw this in the theater last year. I am a fan of the this series of films to a degree, although the, it's complicated. But <clears throat> the film that we're talking about just came out at Blockbuster on new release shelves everywhere across the country is uh, Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday. Which I'll believe when I see that this is the final movie they make in this series. But, as many of you know, the Friday the 13th movie started way back in 1980, almost 15 years ago now. And this is the ninth film of the series. It started out as a, a good idea. It started out as an interesting idea. Obviously, they took a little bit from Halloween, which preceded it, but it was slasher film. The The fun twist at the end, if you haven't seen the original Halloween, I guess don't listen to this, mm-hmm. but I mean, who hasn't at this point? Right. Um, but the fun twist at the end is that it's not supernatural in any way. The person doing the killings is Jason's mom. Jason drowned in the lake, and years later... His mother, Mrs. Voorhees, is still angry that the camp counselors weren't paying attention. They were doing drugs and having sex, and they weren't paying attention, which led to his drowning. So she kills all the camp counselors. Mm-hmm. You know, a perfectly straightforward horror movie uh, with grounded in reality, which was fun. Even when they came back with uh, Friday the 13th Part 2, where Jason actually comes back to life he has somehow grown from a little boy into an adult even though he died right no real explanation for that but um he comes back and he's the one doing the killings even that was was pretty good you know i mean it added it added a supernatural element to the film series and it was decent since then they've just kept going down and down and down and in uh, not the last one, which was uh, Jason Takes Manhattan, but in the one before that, uh, Friday the 13th, Part 7, they introduce telekinesis. There's a, uh, the main girl, the one that survives to the end of the movie, has uh, telekinesis where she can move things with her mind and cause things to happen with the power of her mind, which she uses at the end of the film to kill Jason. So, you know, we're adding more elements here. This movie, Jason Goes to Hell, adds yet another element to one that's not needed and one that does not work in any way. This movie is not 
self-aware enough or funny enough to pull th- this kind of stuff off. <laughs> um, so at the beginning of the film, Jason is at Camp Crystal Lake. We see a woman go in, does all the normal kind of things. The lights go out. She gets some uh, a light bulb to replace the one that burned out. And then she goes to take a shower. She takes off all her clothes, of course, because we need to see nudity. Well, of course. Because it's Friday the 13th. I mean, not that I can complaining about nudity. I, you know, I am a healthy uh, boy, but um, but it, it 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 does get gratuitous at some points. But anyway, so she takes off her clothes. She's going to take a shower. She hears a noise. She goes out. Jason's there. She falls onto a table. Still has the ability to get up. No, no grievous injuries and run. With Ru- a towel. Right. She's got a towel. All on. she's wearing is a towel and it stays on the whole stupid time. So she runs through the woods. Uh, she she sees Jason. It's very dark. All of a sudden, big floodlights come on and she does this somersaulting jump away from Jason and all these guys, military looking guys with uh, machine guns and other type things, they show up and they start shooting at him. And uh, then they say incoming. There's a, a it sounds like you, ne- you never see it. I'm sure they don't have the budget for this, but it sounds like a plane flies overhead, drops a bomb on Jason, blows him completely up because in this world now, in this universe, people know Jason. He's no longer just a rumor or a myth. Everyone knows as a news reporter who's doing a story about Jason afterwards says that the name Jason Voorhees used to cause fear across the country, which I think is weird. It's a weird line that Jason, the, 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 you know, Jason Voorhees caused fear across the country. He only ever stays in Crystal Lake. Right. I don't know where Crystal Lake is, what state it's supposed to be in. Later, they're in Ohio, so I'm guessing Ohio. Uh, I think Sean Cunningham, the producer and the creator of uh, Jason, the Friday 13th series, is from Ohio. So I guess probably Ohio. But if you don't live there in Ohio and you're not in Crystal Lake, there is nothing to fear. Right. Because he literally (laughs) never goes out of there except for one time in Friday the 13th Part 2 at the very beginning where for some reason he hunts down the girl that survived in the first movie and kills her. But besides that, besides that weird out of place vendetta thing, uh, he never goes out of Crystal Lake. So that's weird. Anyway, so in this universe, they everyone knows he exists. So the military decided the girl was uh, a decoy or uh, bait. bait. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she was a special agent working with them. So she uh, lured him into this trap. They kill him. They blow him up. His body is in you know a bunch of different pieces. And we see his heart, giant misshapen heart. So then they take him in for an autopsy. I don't know why. They know how he died. Right? Because <laughs> they did it and they watched it. But, I mean, just burn the body. I think they wanted to, you know, figure Study out him. What, what makes him tick and all that stuff. Yeah. So anyway, uh, you know, they, they're going through the, the uh, um, <laughs> not coroner, the uh, mortician. Is it? No. What is it? The guy. Um, is this... Medical examiner? Yeah, there you go. Examiner. Uh, he's looking through all the different body parts and stuff. He's got the heart on a, on a like a weight scale, yeah, yeah to uh, to see how much it weighs. And he's dictating the whole time over the credits about different things, how he died, and all this different stuff. So, and it's a big government facility because there's guards outside. You have to show ID and all this stuff. So anyway, he's looking at the he's examining the heart. He's saying it's about twice the size of a normal heart. There's fatty buildup, you know, everywhere, which made me think like, oh, Jason should have died of a heart attack. <laughs> well, go. But um, he says there's a black viscous liquid that is fill- that fills it. It's that, not blood. Yeah, that is not blood. Oil, I guess. I don't know. Ugh. But anyway, the heart starts beating and the guy seems to be hypnotized or mesmerized by it. And anyway, he picks it up and he starts eating it. And then we see orange really bad effects, orange lights yeah. or whatever, start to penetrate this guy's body, going from Jason's charred corpse into his body. And then uh, his buddy, the other medical examiner, comes back from getting a pizza. 
So always, always weird to me. I, I guess, I don't know. I, I'm sure there's no medical examiners that are listening. I guess you guys eat in there when you're doing God, your work and stuff that? like that. No. But it's it's such a trope in all those movies where they're they're eating something while they're handling all this. But Ugh. it seems... It, it, aren't those places supposed to be sterile? Like, aren't you supposed to keep a sterile... I know it's not surgery, but even there, aren't you supposed to keep, like, kind of a sterile environment? I, I, I don't know. I would know. I wouldn't want to get the germs from a dead body on my food. I know. That's what I'm saying. I just... I don't think that that's really a thing. I think it's just a thing that they show in movies all the time. But anyway, he shows up, and the other... The original medical examiner that ate the heart ends up killing him. And then... Uh, and it's funny, too, because the whole time... The guy that uh, he ends up killing is talking about Jay's like, oh, Jason, I'd like to I'd like to take a dump on your mask. And you're just a, you know, uh, you're just a wussy or whatever. It's uh, so dumb. And then the guy, the guy walks, after he kills him, he walks by a mirror and you can see like it's fucking quantum leap that uh, you can see Jason in the reflection. So the theory is that Jason is basically uh, a possession that that Jason is like some sort of entity that can possess bodies and become you know, a killer. That actually makes sense if um maybe that body, you know, you said he he was a kid and then he's like, man, maybe he possessed a body. Yeah, I I can see where they're going with it, but I just don't think it's necessary. It, it, you're making they're they're trying to go too deep and too far in for to tie all this stuff to quote make sense as if it ever could mm-hmm. and um and it's just it's too much stuff that they're that they're piling on to the mythology of this uh movie yeah i guess but um so he goes to he leaves and he's starting to walk away and the two guards that are there they say oh hey you know how's the guy doing in there and he kind of turns back towards him. He's like, "Oh, that Jason was such a pussy. Anyway, we uh, we really blew him up." So they start. They also start making fun of Jason for some reason. So he decides to kill them. Mm-hmm. He was just gonna walk away, but now it's like it's so he's like he's like a dude. He's like a bro, you know. Where it's like, you know, you don't want you can't insult him or I'll get pissed. He's a demon entity. Right. What does he care? But anyway, so. After that, the the basic plot of the film, and I won't ruin the rest of the movie, but the basic plot of the film won't ruin the rest of the movie. But the basic plot mm. of the film is that um, that Jason is, like I said, a spirit that inhabits different bodies and uses them to murder. And what has to happen is that he he needs to be exercised out of the body and sent to hell. And there's a certain way that this can be done through incantations and a special knife and, and all this stuff. Uh, but it, it gets very... It's too... This is not what the Friday... Th- the Friday the 13th movies are slasher movies. Right. They're different from ghost stories or demon stories or, you know, possession kind of movies. Like, this is not The Exorcist. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so it's... It, it just doesn't work. It does not fit. And if they do another one of these films, another Jason movie, which I'm sure they'll do. I although I this one I don't think made a lot of money hey, maybe at the box get the office. Hints. Um but as long as there's some profit to squeeze out of them, they'll keep making them. But what they what they really need to do is just go full camp. Just go over the edge of it, you know, and come back around to the beginning, basically. Be self-aware. We know this is not a good movie. We know it's not even really a good horror movie. It's it's not meant to necessarily scare. It's just about blood count. It's just about craziness. You know, do something, do something crazy in the realm of a slasher movie with it. That's the only way that you're going to get me back on board with it and I think a lot of other fans of this series. Unfortunately, I cannot recommend that you rent Jason Goes to Hell. If you want to rent it, I mean, be my guest. I watched it, but it's not. It's probably the worst in the series. <sighs> Part 7 might be worse. I don't know. It's tough. But uh, between the two of them, one of those two is... They're, they're the two worst ones, for sure. 
I wasn't even willing to devote the time to watching the movie. I've already spent too much time talking about the movie. <laughs> but yeah, so I can't recommend that you rent it. Uh, just rent 16 Candles or something like that. Or go to Thomas Video and find uh, Evil Dead. That's that's a funny... That is a good movie. And, and, a, and a fun movie to watch. And you'd be supporting Sam Raimi, Michigan Zone. Yep. So um, I hope that he does something with, with his career. But uh, so far it's been these... Well, he did... He directed something else. I can't remember what it was. But he directed he directed something else. Uh, I can't yeah I can't remember what it was, but I think there was oh you know what he directed he directed Dark Man. Remember that movie with Liam Neeson? No. It came out about four years ago. I don't think I've seen it. It was it's kind of like Batman. Like Batman came out in eighty nine, Dark Man came out in ninety, and it's sort of like. A dark version of that, but he directed that movie. That's uh, that's a good one for sure. Um, but yeah, I hope that T continues to work uh, directing wise because he does a really good job. So yeah, go to Thomas Video and find The Evil Dead if you don't live near. Because I know we're kind of we're kind of out there now. Um, I I think as far as like uh, you know even into maybe northern uh, or you know like we're in southeast Detroit. Southeast Michigan, around Detroit, you know. I think um, I think we're even a couple counties away that people are starting to listen to this show. So you might not be near it. I know people are passing these tapes around and stuff like that to friends. And, and they've been mailing uh, tapes and stuff. I've heard from a couple different people. But um, so if you're not around there, I'm sure there's a place like that where you can find to rent it. I uh, kind of I kind of hope that when you're listening to this that you're not from around here and you can't get a copy just because that means, hey, you're listening. <laughs> our, our, our influence is spreading. <laughs> that seemed almost kind of sweet, but also cruel at the same time. <laughs> I hope you can't get a copy. Um, anyway, so that is our show for this week. We will be back next week, but like I said, probably talking about Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, thank you for listening. Have a good week, guys. See you, bye.